The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee.
There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. O Lord, you are risen. I praise your name. I glorify your name. For by your resurrection from the dead, you are recognized as the Son of the living God. Lord, we praise you today. Thank you, Jesus. And I ask now, as I share the message you have given to me, that you will quicken our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. His resurrection is my resurrection. The Lord God of heaven loved Jacob, and he hated Esau. That's what the word said. Look at it with me, Malachi, the first chapter. This is an oracle, a word from the Lord to Israel through the prophet Malachi. Malachi 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord said, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. So God loved Jacob, and God hated Esau. What was it about Esau that God hated? The Lord does not just pick out a man at random and say, I'm going to hate you. That's not the way of God. He hates for a reason. What is it that God is hating in Esau? What is it that he hates in Esau and loves in Jacob? I wanted to title this sermon, Breaking the Esau Spirit. But as I prayed about it, this is really about resurrection. But Esau was not able to walk into the resurrection. Esau was barred from the resurrection. He was not allowed to enter into it. But 
he was able to dwell in the household of God. In other words, it's possible to dwell in the household of God and be denied the resurrection because of an Esau spirit. Today, we think that if we have the right teaching, the right theology, that we're saved. And over 80% of all Americans believe that when they die, they're going to be saved. I mean, are you aware that in America, the divorce rate, particularly among evangelical Christians, is just over 50%? In the pagan European nations, like the Dutch, you know what the divorce rate is among the Dutch? 37%. How is it the Dutch, without the gospel, are able to live more at peace in their marriages than these so-called Christian Americans? Strange, isn't it? I want you to, to walk with me as we identify the Esau spirit, what it is and how it operates. Because if we walk in that, we'll never enter into the resurrection. That spirit has to be broken in our heart. When that Esau spirit is broken, then we enter into the resurrection. I don't want you to shout and spit and say, look, he is risen, when it could mean judgment for you instead of salvation. Let's go to the story. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Let's begin in chapter 25 to get the full scope of what was happening Isaac is 40 years old. He's married Rebecca. And now, for the next 20 years, they can have no children. They're barren. And finally, Isaac prays for his wife and asks for the gift of children in fulfillment of the promise of God. She has now become pregnant, and she has two babies in her womb. She has twin boys. They're fighting against one another. And she's upset by this battling in her womb. And she goes to ask the Lord, what's happening? And the Lord said to her in verse 23, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. She gave birth to these twin boys. First comes Esau, and then comes Jacob, named Heel Grabber because he's hanging onto his brother's heel as he's born. We begin immediately to learn about Esau in verse 27. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He was a man who was naturally drawn to the dark. There was something in his heart that drew him naturally to the unclean. Now maybe that leaves most of you out. But I want to tell you that all of my life, I have naturally bent toward what was darkness. From the time I was a child, I was intrigued by the forbidden. From the day I went out and crumpled up those dried walnut leaves and made myself a stogie and puffed away, 
thinking I was being very worldly until I became very sick. Sneaking the radio in my room so I could listen to the music of the world because I thought mom and dad were stick in the muds, old fogies, out of touch with reality. So whatever I could get into, I got into. Now, fortunately, my sins were rather limited because we lived on a farm far from civilization. But I'll never forget the night my brother and I slipped out on bikes and rode to the neighborhood circus that was going full bore. And Dad had to come find us. And the penalty of that was beyond excruciating. But for some reason, there was always that draw in my heart to the dark side. And today, that dark side has become very dark in our culture. Today, we would think the itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini was quite innocent compared to uh, Russian roulette or some other hip-hop songs utterly dark and disgusting, debased. And yet that natural draw is toward the darkness. The television sitting as a wicked instrument in our living room, pumping into our house words and actions and and beliefs that none of us in our right mind would ever allow someone in the flesh to come into the house and do. I mean, what would you do if someone came into your house and began to murder someone? You would call 911. You would want the police there. You would want those people out of your house. But we can sit and comfortably suck in violence and think nothing of it because it's in that box. And as long as we can contain it in the box, we think it's all right. The problem is, it's not in the box. It's in this box. It's in my soul, replayed in my mind so many times, so many things that I saw on the silver screen. Things I wish I'd never seen or never heard. I thought my parents were utterly foolish for saying, the movies are dark, don't go there, Ray. And I went and I found that it was very clean, very comfortable. I said, my parents were wrong again. And so I sat down and remember the last tango in Paris? Some of you are older. One of the first movies I ever saw. I walked away and I said, what was that? It was utter wickedness, darkness, destruction. And it was mild compared to today's. So this drawing of our hearts toward darkness. That's what Esau had in his heart. He was a man who wanted to go out and enjoy everything he could get his teeth into. He came home one night. Jacob was cooking the stew. Verse 29, Esau came in from the open country. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Well, what's the birthright? The birthright means that the eldest son 
gets a double portion of daddy's money when daddy dies. The birthright is a double portion of the money. So he gets two servings compared to everybody else getting one serving. That was the culture. But in this case, there was much more involved. The birthright, in this case, literally meant a nation. It meant all of Israel geographically, the promised land. In this case, to have the birthright meant that all of that real estate would belong to your family. It was a promise of God. It was not something they had in their hands. It was a promise in the future. And Esau cared nothing for the future. He only cared for what was in his hand now. He cared for what he could enjoy today. He didn't care about tomorrow. Now, the Esau spirit says to us today, don't be overly concerned about heaven. After all, it's a long ways away. Be concerned instead for what you have now. Be practical. It's what you can get in the hunt today that matters. It's not tomorrow. He was an expert hunter. Now, this troubles my heart because how do we even talk about it? I'll see a family in the congregation. And that family will begin to make progress toward the kingdom of God. They'll begin to make progress in the kingdom of the Lord. And then suddenly, a rabbit will run by. And all they can see is there's a rabbit they can get in their pot. And off they go after the rabbit. And then they'll be absent from the house of the Lord. They'll go chase that rabbit. And when they come back, I say to them, have you been in prayer? Have you been reading your scriptures? Has the Lord been speaking to you? What have you heard? Oh, no. Pastor, we've been too busy. We had to take care of this or we had to do that. Wait a minute. It's like I try to carry you along toward the kingdom of God to encourage you to move toward the house of the Lord, toward the kingdom of heaven. But as soon as the rabbit comes, the hunter in you wants to go chase the rabbit. You want to get that rabbit in your pot. You want to experience all of that wonderful time. But it drains away the life force from your family and from your own life. Right now as we're sitting here, some of you have rabbits in your mind. You're thinking about what you want to do and how you want to achieve it and how you can set the trap and how you can get a hold of what you want. That's not where life is. That's where Esau dwelt. The Esau spirit is alive and well in the church. Saying, we're out to catch what we can catch and to get what we can get. And we're going to go for it. And by the way, we want the gospel of Jesus to come along and encourage us as we chase our rabbits. Purpose-driven church, they call it. No, it's self-absorption. It's self-centeredness. 
It takes us away from the kingdom of heaven. It focuses our time, our attention, our resources on what is right here and now and prevents us from stretching our hearts toward heaven. So Esau, he says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? In other words, he's saying, I can't eat the birthright. I can't eat a promise. I want the real thing here now. Jacob said to him, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave him the lentil soup, the bread. He ate it, he drank, and then where did he go? Back out to the hunt. Back out to the hunt. It reminds me of Christians coming into the church, getting a meal, and then back out to the hunt. Somewhere this cycle has to be broken. It has to end. You see a family, they're making progress toward the kingdom of God. And then they make a decision and take an action that will completely consume them as a family. They're now of no value to the kingdom of God. They have no time. They have no resources because the expense of this deal is taking everything they have. They have no testimony because they get themselves into terrible situations where they're just devastated emotionally. Esau spirit, going for the hunt. Being willing to sell out the vision and dream of heaven for a pot of porridge, for some lentils. And I guess I have to ask today, have you been on the hunt? And have you been selling out the kingdom of God for your pot of porridge? Has that been your heart? Or are your eyes fixed on that resurrection and that entrance through that resurrection gate into the kingdom of God? And you are utterly sold out to go to that place of resurrection power Later, it's of interest to me that that Esau would claim that Jacob tricked him, that he didn't really know what he was doing when he sold his birthright out. And that's something else I hear so often. The devil tricked me. You know, circumstances, they just tricked me. They control my, my path. I had to do this, Pastor. I had to do this. I had to go here. I had to do this. I had to say that. I had to... Why? Who made you do it? Well, I was tricked. No, you weren't tricked. You made a decision. This is the Esau spirit. Always making decisions that end up in bankruptcy. Always making decisions that strip away life and energy, and family, making decisions that strip away joy, making decisions and acting on those decisions that are destructive for everyone around. That's the Esau spirit. It's arrogant, hard-hearted. It's bitter. It's accusing. 
it always is the victim. That's the Esau spirit. It goes on. Isaac is now old in chapter 27. He calls for Esau, his older son. And he says to him, my son, I want you to see that Esau is a member of the household of God. Esau is not some pagan person hitting the the dens of iniquity. He's not uncivilized. He's not walking on the wild side all the time. No, he's a member of the household of God. Esau lives knowing that he was birthed out of prayer. Esau chooses to go out and do his hunting and then come back into the house of God for his nurturing. And then he goes back out. That cycle repeats time after time. Come and get forgiven. Go back out and sin again. Come back and get forgiven. Then go back out and do it again. That cycle, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's Esau. He lives in the household of God. His father now wants to put upon him the blessing of God. And the Lord God of heaven steps in and says, no. Esau cannot have the blessing of God. Instead, the blessing goes to Jacob. Listen to this blessing. Chapter 27, verse 27. So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Wait a minute. Isaac wants to bless Esau because Isaac likes the taste of the wild as well. The Lord God of heaven has not told Isaac to bless Esau. He's got the bit in his mouth and he's going to do what he wants to do with the blessing. And so God tricks him. May God give you of heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. This is the promise given to Abraham. This is the divine blessing of God for the children of Israel. And Esau wants this blessing, but he doesn't want the righteousness. He wants the blessing because it has monetary value. Not because he wants to walk holy before God. And so Isaac 
loves the chase of the wild too. And he's enjoyed vicariously through his son, the dark. And God now gives this blessing to Jacob. Esau then comes in, sees his father. Isaac, who's blind, says to him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry, and he said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Esau wept aloud. The picture that we're beginning to get in the scriptures is that he enjoyed the dark side. He enjoyed going out and walking in that sin. He enjoyed his rebellion. But he still wanted to belong to the household of God. He still wanted to say he belongs and he should be blessed. But now the penalty phase begins to kick in. Walking on this wild side can be very enticing and very exciting and forbidden fruit is very tempting. But when it comes to the penalty phase, that's when even the toughest begin to shudder. The problem is, with the wild side, there is always a penalty phase. Those two are always linked together. There's always a cost involved with a sin. Now Esau, this tough hunter, is weeping because there's no blessing for him. Listen to this blessing. Your dwelling, verse 39, your dwelling will be away from earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. And Esau held a grudge. He hated Jacob. This Esau spirit walks right into the New Testament. I want to show you. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, Matthew, the 22nd chapter, Jesus is speaking to them in a parable. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. It's obvious they were off on the hunt. They didn't have time. 
He sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Why did God hate Esau? Because he always went after the darkness. God hated Esau because he would not repent of his wicked heart. He wanted to belong to the family of God. He wanted to be included when he wanted to be included. He wanted the freedom to roam wherever he wanted to roam and to do whatever he wanted to do. He was unwilling to submit to the Lord God of heaven. And because of his absolute refusal to submit to God, he walked into a curse instead of a blessing. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. In other words, God is saying, just because you're a member of the household of God, don't think that that's going to give you some special place. Because I'm going to go out and I'm going to gather in the least likely. I'm going to go out and gather in those from the bottom of the barrel, and I'm going to reach down to the bottom of the barrel, and I'm going to grab those precious ones, and I'm going to lift them up and establish them in my kingdom, and I'm going to bless them. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. What was he wearing? He was wearing his hunting outfit. He was wearing his camouflage pants. He wanted to be included, but he didn't want to pay the price. He didn't want to wear the robe offered. Notice, friend, verse 12, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. The kings told the attendant, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited. You all are invited. Not a person here is not invited. Young people, you're invited. Boys and girls, you're invited. You've all been invited to come into the kingdom of God. But if you're going to come into the kingdom of God, you're going to have to give up the chase after darkness. You can't be in the kingdom of God and love the chase. You can't be considering, hey, what, what's everybody wearing? I'm going to wear the same thing. Where's everybody going? I'm going to go there too. What's everybody talking about? I'm going to talk about that too. You can't do that and enter into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's everybody buying? I'll buy that too. 
What's everybody thinking? I'll think that too. You can't walk that way and come into the kingdom of God because the judgment day is coming. And on that judgment day, the Lord is going to say, that person doesn't have on the right clothes. Throw them out into darkness. These are people who are part of the household of God. These are people who say, I'm a Christian. And he's saying, throw them out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever seen anybody gnash their teeth? Great alligator tears flowing down their face. Mad. A grudge. Broken. That's the end for any of us in this house today who insist on going after the chase. The penalty phase will come. And now is the day of decision. What will you do with Jesus? The Lord God of heaven hated Esau because he wanted to be a member of the household of God and still love his wickedness. And the Lord said, no, I will not bless that. Today, as you sit in this house, is there anything between your heart and the heart of Jesus? As you look into his face, are you clean? Are you able with joy to look at the Lord and say, Lord God, all is confessed and made right before you. I'm not clinging to anything of darkness. I've utterly given it up. Do you know the glory of waking up in the morning and knowing you're clean before the throne of God? Knowing that there's not anything hidden that you have to cover. Knowing that when his searching gaze passes over you, he's not going to stop and say, wait a minute, you still love that wickedness. Are you clean today before God? Have you been washed in the blood? Those who enter into this resurrection are clean by the blood. They're washed. They're made holy. The most glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been so lied about today in our culture is that Jesus Christ, when he died on Calvary, didn't just die to give me salvation. He died to make me holy. He died to make me into a new creature. He died to make me into a new person. I don't have to live in that darkness. I don't have to live hungering after that chase. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I had to go and lay before the Lord and say, oh God, this chase for darkness has to be broken in my heart. This lust for money must be utterly removed from my soul. This 
eagerness to follow the way of sexual immorality must be removed from my soul. I can't tell you how many times I had to go before the Lord and say, Oh God, I want to be somebody that's sin before you. I'm ambitious, God. That has to be broken. This love of the chase of darkness will keep me from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will block me. It will make it impossible for me to enter into the joy of the kingdom of the Lord God of heaven. All of you in this house are part of the household of God. Just by being here, you've said, I want to follow the Lord God of heaven. But for many of you, there's not much joy in your walk. Why isn't there joy in the walk? Because there's too much hunting. The joy in the walk with Jesus is destroyed by the lust of the world, by the pride of life. It's destroyed. And so that leaves us in this impossible place where we're hoping for something good, but we're grabbing what we can grab while we can grab it. And that leaves us in this impossible place of being powerless with the gospel. When we pray, nothing happens. We cry out to God and nothing happens. And finally, we say it's just a sentimental deal anyway. It's not for real. I've got to worry about me and mine, and I'm going to go for it. Look at this scripture in Romans, the first chapter. Romans, the first chapter. I'll begin with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Literally, Paul, a do-loss slave of Christ Jesus. Literally, Paul, without any rights of ownership, without any rights of family, with everything sold out to Jesus Christ, Paul being willing to utterly sell my soul for Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, called to be an announcer of the decision of the Sanhedrin. Paul called to communicate the judgment decision of the Sanhedrin on high, the decision of God the Father, set apart for the gospel of God, set apart for the good news of God. The gospel he promised beforehand to his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, by Jesus coming forth from that tomb, He is recognized as the Son of God. Had Jesus not come forth from the tomb, and I had been here speaking today, I would have been speaking as a motivational speaker, a humanist, 
encouraging you to do your best. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you that your very best is not good enough. I'm here to tell you that there is only one way into the kingdom of heaven, and that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you don't need a resurrection if you haven't died. If you haven't died to the chase, you can have no resurrection. If you haven't died to the chase, you can have no resurrection. How can you be born again when you're still an adult? Nicodemus asked that. What, can I go back into my mother's womb? I'm a grown man. No, you can't go back into your mother's womb. You have to go this time into the womb of God. And you only go into the womb of God by dying and quitting the chase and following after Jesus Christ. What I'm sharing with you today is the power of God to change your life. The power of God to change your life. Today I'm telling you, you have been set free by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ from the chase. That's a faith stand you have to take. By faith, I take a stand that Jesus Christ is enough for me and I don't need the chase. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes by faith. Today I call you to that obedience that comes by faith. It means laying the chase aside. It means laying the world's music aside. It means laying the world's entertainment aside. It means laying the world aside and seeking after Jesus Christ with all of your heart. It means being given by the Lord God of heaven a new heart whose only desire will be to seek after Jesus Christ. That's all. There isn't any more. He's everything. He's the bread. He's the wine. He's the past. He's the future. When you get tired, where do you go? Jesus. When you get sad, where do you go? Jesus. When you get sick, where do you go? Jesus. When you get angry, where do you go? Jesus. Anywhere else is the chase. Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord. He's the King of kings, the master of the universe. He's the creator God of heaven. In his hands, the Father has placed everything.
All judgment is in His hands. All grace and all mercy is in His hands. You tired of the chase? The Esau spirit is broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, I ask you today to break the Esau spirit in our hearts. I ask you on this resurrection day to bring us into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Make us new people, filled by your spirit, anointed by your spirit. And we will praise your name and glorify you, King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide and His grace so free is sufficient for me and deep is the fountain that's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come That's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from their old life of sin, Till the Savior awaits to open the gates to welcome the lost before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you
Cross for you. 